Hey, are you there? Are you listening? Come here, I got a secret to share with you. It's a private group on Facebook called DWH. (laughs) Hey, you guys, it's your girl, Yahira Jones. Yes, I've created a private Facebook group called DWH, which stands for Dating with Herpes. So how do you get to this group? Well, you have to go to facebook.com forward slash Yahira.Jones.1. Again, that is facebook.com forward slash Y-A-H. I-R-A dot J-O-N-E-S dot the number one. That's the first step. Once you're there, I need you to send me an inbox message stating that you would like to join the Dating with Herpes private group. Once you've sent me that message, I will send you an invitation so that you can join the link. Now, this is a brand new page, so there's not a lot of content on the Hybrid Jones profile page, but I do have content on the group page. So again, go to my Facebook page, Yahira.Jones.1. Send me an inbox message saying that you would like to join the group, and then I will send you an invitation. That's the only way to join at this time, but I want this to be a place where all of my listeners can come, share their stories with other listeners, and just be a community with each other. There are other, of course, herpes sites out there on Facebook, but this one I've created especially for you. So join me there. See you soon. Hi, you guys, it's your girl, Yahira Jones, and welcome to another episode of Dating with Herpes. As always, it is my hope and prayer that you find this episode inspirational and informative. Well, it's been a minute since I've come to you guys. I think it's been like a month. There's been some things going on, and I know I always say, oh, there's some things going on, but there has been some things going on, and if you were a part of the Facebook group, DWH, you would know exactly what's been going on. But for those who may not be a part of the group, first and foremost, I would like to invite you to join the group. Um, but I'll feed you in on what's been going on also. So the first thing is that the guy that I've been dating recently, and I think I've talked about him to you guys on the last episode, I can't remember, but, um, he contracted COVID and, um, I think I also mentioned that his living arrangement is not ideal. (laughs) He lives with relatives. Um, so he couldn't quarantine at home. So when he initially found out that he had attracted the virus, he was actually on the road because he's a truck driver. He wasn't feeling well. Um, And he went and got COVID tested and it came back positive. So since he couldn't go home after being on the road, he decided to get a hotel room. And um, he stayed there for about a week. But after a week, he, you know, was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, my money is getting low. I can't continue to stay at this hotel for another week. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do. So being the person <laughs> that I am, the kind-hearted person that I am, I offered my home for him to quarantine for the rest of the two weeks. 
Um, so I let him stay at my home and I went to stay with my mom, um, for the rest of the week. And I think by the third day, third or fourth day of him quarantining at my home, he was telling me that he, you know, felt a lot better. He hadn't had a temperature in a couple of days and he was doing research and they said, if you don't have a temperature within 48 hours and your symptoms begin to ease up, then you're probably past the phase where you're contagious. And although that sounds all fine and dandy, you know, I have RA, so that which is an autoimmune disease. So that makes me more susceptible to contracting the virus. So I told him, you know, I don't feel comfortable coming home and um, while you're there. And he was like, you know, I'm good. You know, I want to see you. You know, I appreciate everything you've done. I don't want to leave here without seeing you. And um, so I told him, I said, hey, if you want to see me, I need you to go get tested because he had gotten rapid tested to find out that he had it. I was like, I need you to go get a rapid test to make sure that you don't. So he complied. He got the rapid test, came back negative. He sent me a screenshot of it. So on Thursday, I went back home and we spent Thursday through Sunday together um, reconnecting because it had been the first time we'd seen each other in about a month. Um, as you guys may have remembered from the last episode, our situation is a little sketchy because he lives three and a half hours away. And when we first started dating, he was coming to see me every week. So that's three and a half hours to come and three and a half hours to go back. And after the sixth week, that's when he began to say, you know, you hire it. This is starting to take its toll on me, all of this traveling. And then I have to travel back in the morning for work and then hit the road to go to work. So it was a little sketch um, as far as our relationship goes. Um, and it's to be honest, it's still a little sketch, <laughs> even after me allowing him to um, stay here and recuperate after contracting the virus. And that I'm going to be honest, that has me in my feelings. Not that he should be kissing my ass or anything, but like, you know, I went out my way to make sure you're good. You know what I'm saying? So why are we still in this, you know, stage of uncertainty about why do I feel uncertain about our relationship still? So which leads me, (laughs) this segue, which leads me to today's episode. On today's episode, I want to dig a little deeper and talk about how we handle relationships and what can be factors that make it work or not work. So let's get started. Over the years, um, you may have heard me joke about being a serial dater. (laughs) And I'm saying that in air quotes. I don't know how many times I've said that while doing this podcast. I mean, since I've started doing this podcast, have you guys been able to keep up with the number of guys I've talked about? How many times I've talked about meeting somebody new? before I talk about meeting someone new (laughs) again. (laughs) Like when I thought about it, before I started recording this podcast today, I thought I tried to think about how many guys I've I've talked about over this three year stint. And it had to be at least a minimum of seven guys, maybe seven to nine guys that I've talked about with you guys. And although it may sound good to hear that I'm not allowing my status to prevent me from dating and getting out there, 
the truth of the matter is I would have preferred to just tell you guys about one, like tell you about my success story, about meeting this perfect guy and how he accepted me. And although most of the guys that I disclosed to in recent years handled the disclosure well and dated for a period of time, I haven't found that long-term committed relationship that I long for. And I wonder why. Why haven't I been able to be in a relationship for like three or four years? Or why haven't I even met the man I wanted to marry? Like when I disclose to them, they're cool with it, or at least they seem cool with me having herpes. So then what is it about me that makes them then decide, nah, I'll pass. You know what I'm saying? Like we were cool and now you decide you don't want to be with me no more. Like what, what is it about me? And I've even talked to a few of my exes because I'm still friends with some of them. And I've asked them, what was the real reason behind our breakup? And most of them said things like, I wasn't ready for a relationship. Or they'll say something like, it wasn't you, it was me. And these things sound so cliche. You know what I'm saying? They sound so like, you know, I don't want to be the bad guy and tell you what I really feel. You know what I'm saying? So deep down, I always kind of knew or I, I, I felt that what they were saying wasn't true. And for years, I've been noticing a cycle when it comes to relationships. It seems like I attract the same type of men. And my mom, my mom actually has been saying this. And when she tells me this, it makes me mad, right? <laughs> because it's like, okay, now she's saying I'm doing something wrong. I'm choosing the same type of men. But in honesty, she was always right. I choose the same type of men. They look different. They smell different. They talk different but they all act the same. They all act the same. And I have the same experiences with all of these different men over and over and over again. And so what does that do? If they're all different men and I'm the common denominator, I'm the one who's choosing these men, then there's something wrong with me because I'm choosing these men, right? (laughs) I mean, it only makes sense. And now before you start saying you're higher, you're being too hard on yourself, believe me, I'm not bashing myself or am I feeling sorry for myself? What I'm doing is I'm trying to expose the root of the problem of all of my failed relationships. I'm trying to get to the core of why I keep chasing and why do I keep getting involved with the same type of men? Why do I keep choosing these men? Why do I not say this is not what I want? Why do I even give them a chance to get close to me? And whatever that is, whatever that reason is, I'm trying to heal from it. Whatever is causing that brokenness for me not to identify. I've been through this before. This is not what I want. And let me find something else that's healthier. I'm trying to heal from that. Because ultimately, I want a healthy and a happy relationship just like everybody else. Just like everybody else. So I started the journey of self-discovery and I started this journey about, it hasn't been long, I want to say like maybe three months, like first of the year, 
And I started spending a lot of quality, quiet time with myself. And I journal my thoughts. And I revisit old relationships, trying to sift out the patterns that keep me in these same cycles. So that's what it is. It's a cycle that's not broken. I keep going through the same thing over and over and over again. To try to help me to decide what's going on with me, I have watched some relationship, quote unquote, relationship experts. They help sometimes, but sometimes they're not as helpful as I would like for them to be. Sometimes they actually confuse me because they have their own opinions, right? And really for me, I need to get to the bottom of what's going on with Yahira. And the only person that can do that is Yahira. You know what I'm saying? Yahira has to invest time in Yahira. Yahira has to sit with Yahira and and have a conversation with herself, myself. Let me stop talking in third person. (laughs) But I have to have a conversation with myself. I have to be real, real with myself to identify what's going on with me. Because I'm at 40 years old. You know what I'm saying? I've passed the age, I think, physically to have a child. At least I want to be able to find love and happiness in this lifestyle, in this lifetime, right? So I ran across this article. And this article was called, Let's Talk About Herpes, Part 1. Rejection. It may not be it may not really be about herpes. So basically what this the title is saying that although we go through rejection, don't blame it on herpes. It could be something else. And part of me believes that. And part of me used to used to think, especially when I broke up with my first love, when I told him, you know, I didn't disclose right away. I waited a long time to disclose to him. I waited until we fell in love. And at that time, I believe that the reason why we broke up is because I waited too long. And to this day, I don't do that anymore because that had that hurt me so bad because I was in love with this man. And um, so I blamed herpes for me losing the love of my life. But what if that really wasn't the case? What if the rejection was bound to happen even if I didn't have herpes, what if he was going to leave me anyway? Because that's just the type of person he was. And that was the person that I attracted into my life. It makes you think, right? So this article um, is by a self-esteem and relationship counselor who deals with women who have herpes and how to deal with. She's based out of New York City. Her name is Melissa King. And I'm going to read what I think are important parts of this article. I would definitely um, add the link in DWH so that you can read it for yourself. But for those who are not, um, those who are not um, DWH members, you can actually read this full article at www.myheartdances.com forward slash self-esteem hyphen support hyphen blog and you should be able to find it it's called let's talk about herpes part one rejection it may not really be about herpes so i'm gonna get into some of the stuff she had to say hopefully 
this will help me because I'm still processing. I'm still going through my journey. (laughs) But hopefully it'll help me and you to uncover why dating with or without herpes may be unsuccessful. All right, so let's get into it. So she started off by saying, I know it might be hard to believe, but there are a lot of people out there who are not going to be bothered that much about having her, about you having herpes. I know because I've watched many, many women over the years find partners who just don't think herpes was a big deal. And I don't mean that they searched and searched and finally found one partner who accepted them. I mean that they got out there and dated and disclosed and had boyfriends and lived their lives. Then she add, note, just because someone accepts herpes doesn't, doesn't mean that they're your prince. And I think that's an important note because I feel like at times we go through, especially early on for me, we go through disclosure and rejection, right? So that when we finally meet one person who's accepting, we're like, finally, I can be happy. But just because they accept you doesn't mean that you're supposed to be together. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that person is just educated. Maybe they're just compassionate and understanding. But that doesn't mean that's your end all just because they're accepting, right? So not that you should just cast them away either because you never know how the relationship will develop. But don't put all of your eggs in this one basket thinking that this is it just because, you know, they have a heart. She goes on to say, I've been working with women with herpes for many years. As a therapist, I found that those who struggle with dating before contracting herpes feel particularly vulnerable after disclosing. They often feel that it was hard enough to meet someone before herpes and have difficulty imagining how they're going to find love now. And just from my standpoint, as a person who receives emails um, from people, from listeners who listen to my podcast, this is a reoccurring concern. Um, And I get it. I unfortunately didn't have the luxury of having much of a dating life prior to contracting herpes. So I didn't ever have that. I may have felt it a little bit as I've gotten older, but yeah, I felt it a lot. I'm I'm not going to lie. I felt it a lot as I got older. Um, but I've never had the experience of life prior to um, contracting, dating life prior to contracting the virus. And the reason is, is because I lived in a very, very, very strict household as a teenager, as a child, teenager, and young adult. I moved out of my house, my mom's house, when I was 21 years old, around the time I contracted the virus. So while I was living with my mom, I never had boys over the house. Um, I dated very uh, briefly prior to contracting the virus. But like in high school years, I didn't date because I was afraid of boys. I was afraid that all I wanted was sex, which is true (laughs) at that age. And I was afraid of getting pregnant. And growing up in a religious household, that was like a no-no. You know, I was afraid that if I got pregnant, my mom might kick me out. So I didn't want to do that. And then also I was you know, I was and still am a Christian ultimately. And I didn't want to disappoint God by having a child, you know, out of wedlock. Although my mom had a child out of wedlock. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm older now, I'm wiser now. But at the time, I didn't want that to happen. So I didn't date. 
I didn't, you know, go out on dates as a teenager. I didn't have a date for my prom. I went with a whole bunch of friends and, you know, that, that was it. But for those who had active and uh, flourishing dating lives prior to having the virus, it can feel like it really is the end of the world. Like life is never going to be the same. Life changes, but it doesn't have to be the end. And so I think that's why she said that, you know, to point that out. She goes on to say, some people have had some people have a pattern of attracting partners who tend to disappear when things get real or serious, which hit hard for me, as I just stated with my first love, you know. And then she says others seem to attract committed partners with ease. Never been my experience, but some people do. This pattern often, no matter which one you fall into, tends to stay with this tends to stay the same after a herpes diagnosis. So whether you have a tendency to attract partners who disappear, or if you have a tendency to attract committed partners, it stays the same even after you contract herpes. For many women who tend to attract partners who don't want to commit, they, excuse me, they may experience rejection after disclosing about herpes. It feels like it was about the herpes, but really it's the same pattern that was happening prior to contracting herpes. Things got real and your new romantic interest failed. Now, I'll I'll, I'll continue before I say what I'm about to say. (laughs) She says, I want you to know that this is not about being pretty enough. It's not about being cool enough smart enough, fun enough, sexy enough. How many times do we attack ourselves when things don't work out the way we hope we did? I know I do it. I know that one of my main things is that I feel that I'm not affectionate. I felt like I wasn't affectionate. Enough. I've learned since, especially with my current situation, that I can be very affectionate. But for years, I always wonder, why am I not affectionate? Why doesn't it come naturally? But there's a reason for that, and I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that, and she touches on that. But it's not about those things. It's about intimacy, she says, and security, and what we expect from relationship. It often goes back to the experience we've had when we were young. Very key tip right there. Usually related to our relationships with our parents or primary caregivers. Sometimes these relationships, um, sometimes these relationships with your parents might have been really great, but there are patterns that occur in these relationships that can predict the kind of patterns you'll be drawn to as adult and how they would treat us and how they will treat us and how they will treat us. I say that repeatedly. Let me repeat that. She says that your parents might have been great, but there are patterns that occurred in these relationships that can, that can predict the kind of patterns we'll be drawn to as adults and how, and I just lost my space, and how they would treat us. 
I repeat that and I said that multiple times because that really hit home for me. And I'm going to try to say this without getting emotional. For years, I tried not to blame the way I was brought up as a reason why my relationships are poor. Deep down inside, this article is not something new for me. I've always known this, deep down inside. But what this article is doing for me, and I hope that it does for someone else, is that it confirms a lot of things that I thought and I felt. And I'm going to try to say this without crying. Lord, help me. <laughs> um, as a kid, my father was rarely around. My father was around for my birth time. I was four years old. My father is a, mu- a musician. He's an artist. He sings. And he plays the piano. And he chased that over being a parent. He loved that more, I felt, than he loved me. So at age four, he was gone to pursue his dreams. He came back around at age 12 or maybe 11. And then he was gone again at age 13. And after that, for 24 years, I didn't hear from my father. It was only when I turned 37 that I decided that I wanted to try to find out where my father was. And I did. I found him. And we're now building a relationship that we never had. But that abandonment scarred me. And for years, I didn't want to blame him for how he affected my life. I didn't want his lack of being present to dictate who I am. I didn't want to give him that power. You know what I'm saying? So I will bury my feelings about him leaving and say, I was raised great by my mother, which I was. But the truth of the matter is, His absence and his abandonment scarred me. It scarred me so bad that, and I didn't even realize it. Or maybe I did and I just wanted to downplay it. But when you think about a relationship with your parents, they're the first that you'll ever have. They're your first relationship, mother and father. Both are important. Both of them are important. I'm trying not to cry. And as a man, my father was the man, the first man that I ever loved, right? He was the first man I ever loved. Him leaving me made me feel subconsciously. I didn't even realize it as a child, but I can identify it as an adult made me feel that I wasn't important enough. I wasn't worthy enough for his time, for his love, for his attention. 
And what it did to me, it made me withdraw from men to not depend on men. It also made me want to chase men to show them that I was worthy, to prove to them that I'm worthy of your love. Because when he came back around at 11, it wasn't that he came back on his own. It came back after me crying to my mother that I missed my father. And then it took my mom trying to find out where he was. And that's when he came back. So that's chasing. That's going after, right? That's going after him for him to come back and love me. Then when he left again, when I was 13, that was him abandoning me again, saying, you're not worth my time. You're not worth my love. You're not worth my attention. You're not worth me sticking around for. I have better things to do. I have something I love more than you. And that's my career. And then again, 24 years later, it took me chasing after him to find him. The same resources that were used for me to find him were available for him to try to find me. But it took me doing it to get us back together. I can sit back and say this now and put all of this together now. But as I was growing up, I didn't know all of this was sitting at the back of my head. That deep down, this was what I was feeling. And so I think it was great that this um, author points out that the relationships that we have with our parents and our caregivers are the most important relationships that we'll ever have. They're the most important because they structure how and what we accept, how we accept love, how we receive love, what we look for in future relationships, what we are willing to accept and what we reject. And for those who are parents that are listening, not doubting that you're doing your best, but take this in mind. For the fathers who are listening, it's just as important for you to be a part of your son's life as important. I mean, it's, it's, more, it's just as important for you to be a part of your daughter's lives as it is for your sons. Because you're the ones who teach your daughters how to be with men what to accept and what's not good enough all right so i'm gonna stop crying (laughs) i'm gonna stop crying and i'm gonna go on all right she says now the good news is is that you can correct the course which is great because i'm trying to do that right we're trying to do that you may have heard of secure insecure attachments i've never heard of that before I'd never heard of that before. But um, she said, you may have heard of secure and insecure attachments. Some of us have secure attachment styles. We feel fairly secure with ourselves and in our relationships. We're drawn to others who provide love, care, and stability. The key here is that when you are secure within yourself, then you attract that. And I think I talked about that with law of attraction. I think this is all related. 
law of attraction, you attract what you give out, right? So if you're secure and you're, you're confident in yourself, then that's what you're going to attract. She says, she goes on to say, we feel confident in what we need and deserve and we don't stick around with partners who treat us poorly. Others of us have insecure attachment styles. We find ourselves feeling familiar with uncertainty in relationships. And I, I, I honestly, I don't want that, but I've been doing that so much that it does feel familiar. Like I look for keys like I look for patterns or I look for, um, like say for instance, if you're ghosted a lot, you learn from the past ghost experience that when you see it this time coming around, you bounce as soon as you feel it coming. You know what I'm saying? So that's the familiarity. Not that you want to be in that situation, but that's what you're used to. So you're able to identify it, right? We may long for intimacy and commitment, but we, but when we actually have it or it is offered to us, it is uncomfortable. And I can attest that it is an uncomfortable feeling. It is an uncomfortable feeling because you're waiting for when, when the ball is going to drop. You're waiting for when the shoe is going to drop. You're waiting for when it's going to switch because that's all it has ever done before. We tend to be drawn to the excited we tend to be drawn to and excited by partners who are just out of reach, like just out of reach. You know what I'm saying? Like they kind of committed, but not fully committed. If you find that everyone you like doesn't like you and that the people who you like don't like, you don't like, let me say it again. If you find that everyone you like doesn't like you and the people who like you, you don't like, there's a good chance that you fall into this category. I, I'm I'm victim of that too. <laughs> I'm victim of that too. I'm like, why do I always attract these old men, especially on Facebook? <laughs> why do I attract these old looking men? <laughs> I'm just playing. But most of us have to do some hard self-examination. Change isn't easy, but change can be but change can really be worth the hard work. So how do we fix the pattern? She says, number one, a lot has to been, a lot hasn't been, sorry, I'm tongue tied. A lot has been written about attachment. Herpes isn't easy, but what I want for you is to not blame herpes for something else that is underlying. Knowledge is power. Learn more about attachments and reflect on how it applies to you. Here's a great article you can start with. And the article that she refers to is how to stop attachment insecurities from ruining your love life, which is written by Megan Laslowski. And when I looked over that article, and let me see if I can find, uh, let me see if I can find that, um, all right, so it's, it, the article is under a web magazine called Greater Good Magazine, which is a science-based insight for a meaningful life. And so I guess you can go to Greater Good Magazine and type in how to stop attachment insecurities from ruining your love life to get more information on that. And I feel like my, my voice is about to go, so I'm going to try to wrap this up as soon as I can. 
But when I looked at this article, it gives a brief um, definition of what attachment therapy is. So I'm going to read that. She says, attachment therapy is spawned by the work of John Bowlby, who was the first psychologist to put forth the idea that underpins much of today's psychotherapy that a child's intimacy and sense of security with his or her primary caregiver plays a crucial role in how secure the child would be as an adult. Over time, psychologists have further refined this idea to argue that early childhood attachment patterns predict adult attachment styles in romantic relationships later in life. While the exact terminology can be very varying depending on which expert one consults, adult attachment styles generally come in four forms. Secure, which is being close to easy. Anxious, preoccupied, which is I want to be emotionally intimate with people, but they don't want to be with me. Dismissive, avoidant which is I'd rather not depend on others or have others depend on me. And lastly, fearful avoidant. I want to be close, but I, but what if I get hurt? I think for me, I'm more of a dismissive avoidant, meaning I'd rather not depend on others or have, or have others depend on me. No, I'm not that either. What am I? Maybe I'm fearful avoiding. I want to be close, but what if I get hurt? I think that's really what I am. What about you guys? Are you secure? Which is being close is easy for you. Anxious, preoccupied. I want to be emotionally intimate with people, but they don't want to be with me. Dismissive avoidant. I'd rather not depend on others or have others depend on me. Or lastly, fearful avoidant. I want to be close but I don't want to get hurt. Yeah, I'm definitely the last one. All right, so if you want to um, check more of that article, like I said, my voice is gone. So I'm going to try to wrap this up. Five in the, in the article, in that same article, it says five ways to overcome attachment um, insecurity. It says, get to know your attachment pattern by reading up on attachment theory, which I plan to do after reading this article. Number two, it says, if you don't already have a great therapist with expertise in attachment therapy, find one, which is great information. because It's no use to go to a therapist um, who isn't, you know, knowledgeable in whatever you're suffering with. So if this is you, find a therapist who is an expert at that. Um, Three is to seek out partners with secure attachment styles. Because if both of you are insecure, then you're not going to be able to help each other. (laughs) It says, if you didn't find such a partner, go to couples therapy. So if both of you have insecurities, then go to couple therapy. And then lastly, it says to practice. um, Basically, make make yourself do the work. Just make yourself do the work. All right. So I hope this hits home for someone. I know it, it's it's touchy for me. As I've stated in the past, it's the disclosure part of having this virus isn't the problem for me anymore. You know, that's that's easy for me. My problem now is keeping the relationship. 
That is the problem. So it is my hopes that I continue to work on this. I think I'm hitting gold by reading this article because it made me really sit down and think about that relationship I had with my father and really identify that that is the core of my problem. That is. So now I have to learn how to remove all of that negativity that I have about getting close to men because that's that's basically what it was. I was disappointed by my first love. I was disappointed by my first love. I was hurt by my first love. I felt that my first love didn't love me, which was my father. And if my father didn't love me, how can anybody love me? Right? So it's really working that out. And I think for me personally, I think that, and I've said this before, I think that I'm I'm going to have to do some type of therapy. I really am. I'm going to have to do some type of therapy to help me to navigate um, the trauma of, of being abandoned and being abandoned by my father. And that's really real. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm not hopeful. You know, I'm still talking to this guy, but hopefully it'll make my relationship with him or whoever I end up with better. Hopefully I won't have very many more new relationships in the future episodes of Dating with Herpes. That's that's my ultimate goal is to find a committed relationship and hopefully get married. That's why I want to be someone's wife one day. And I can't enter into that type of relationship with these types of issues. And, and that's just the real part of it. I, I have to work on me. And hopefully this episode will help you to identify whatever it is that's keeping you from a healthy relationship. It's not always, don't blame herpes on everything. Herpes is hard. I mean, let's be really real about it. Herpes is hard to deal with. And it's easy to blame herpes on everything. The reason why you don't have the relationship that you want, you know, but... It's not always herpes' fault. It really isn't. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully it was something that um, helped you. Um, If you would like to email me, you can email me at yahirajoneshope at gmail.com. That is Y-A-H-I-R-A-J-O-N-E-S-H-O-P-E at gmail.com. Please join us on DWH on the Facebook group. I have a ad that I'm sure played at the beginning of this episode that gives you instructions on how to get there. I do have a, um, I haven't forgotten that I wanted to update you guys on Chicago. I'll do that next time on a story time. Um, but until next time, I'm your host, Jahira Jones. Be safe and God bless. <music>